Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton and your host. Today, I'm joined by Candace Cole, the CFO at Progressive Community Health Centers, which is an independent nonprofit health and social services center in the Milwaukee area. She is an award-winning CFO, not just your average one. She actually won the 2021 CFO of the Year by the Milwaukee Business Journal. Welcome, Candace. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Yeah, I'm delighted to have you here. And one of the biggest reasons I wanted you in on this particular podcast is because we know that other independent nonprofit organizations, they face similar financial strains as nonprofit colleges. And I want to share the lessons learned from you, a financial leader who is in independent healthcare. I see so many parallels between nonprofit higher ed and nonprofit healthcare. And I'll just draw some of those parallels. They include rising costs, reduced public trust and confidence, systemic and process issues, right? We rely on these antiquated processes and systems to run modern day life, the quality of services, equitable access, and even the role of technology. So Candice, you're here to help us understand how one independent nonprofit healthcare organization has made significant strides in reigning in the finances, serving the communication, and then we're going to draw some of those applications to higher ed. Awesome. So Candace, you're a CFO in an industry I would consider somewhat similar to nonprofit higher ed, and which is nonprofit healthcare, as I mentioned. When you walk into an organization and they're struggling financially, what do you start focusing on? Like what just jumps out at you as, oh my gosh, we have to tackle this before we tackle anything else? That's a great question, Sarah. And truthfully, most organizations are facing that right now, right? There was a slew of money during the pandemic, and now it's what do we do now? And so one of the starting places I like to focus on is just the resources. What resources do we have available to us as an organization? Are they financially feasible? Will they continue? And just outlining where those dollar sources are coming from and then looking at the bottom line, right? So on the bottom line, is a pot, is it red or black in that, in our world of financial literacy? If it's black, how long will it sustain? So looking at forecasting, but starting off with the resources are critical because that helps you to gauge what the future will ultimately look like. So one thing that you just said that struck me is this idea of like, even if we're in the black, we can't relax because that money is going to get eaten up somewhere. And so tell me a little bit more about that. Let's go down that vein. If you're in the black, what do you find you still need to forecast for? Is it a certain month? Is it a percentage? Tell me about that. Absolutely. So in nonprofit, we typically look at days cash on hand. You'll hear people say, how many days can you survive? And so looking at the black helps us to know that although I can survive 90 days, what am I going to do on 90, on day 91? And so you still have to do your due diligence in looking at those financial partnerships, relationships within the community, financial resources. How do we extend this longevity or create relationships that will allow us to sustain longevity within our industry or whatever market that we're supporting. 
So the clock's always ticking in your mind. Always. Like in 90 days, I'm not going to relax. That's not enough time. I have to figure out what I do on day 91. Yes. Tell me about the low hanging fruit. What are the expenses you look at, you scrutinize and you just say, okay, that's, that just has to go. We don't want to let it go, but something's got to give. Low hanging fruit, travel. Oh. My team is probably not happy with me right now. (laughs) But it is the, it's the, what we call extracurricular expenses. Some of it, we still need to educate ourselves, right? We're all lifelong learners as we continue in whatever industry we're in. We have to continue to learn. So unfortunately, education is also amongst those that get cut quickly. But definitely travel marketing, which is so critical for all organizations to survive. Marketing is one of those areas that are cut right off top. And so I challenge some of those spaces, even though, yeah, does it help the bottom line? But then how do you run your organization as well? So those are some of the things that keep me up saying, how do I manage this, reduce this, but sustain all at the same time. I'm actually surprised to hear that marketing is one of the first areas cut because usually they have the biggest budgets. Yeah, not a nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's just not a direct expense that it's can not. be justified when you're feeling pinched. When things are going well, then you might up their budget again. Absolutely. The travel one doesn't surprise me as much. And especially I think in COVID, we kind of learned that there's a whole bunch of things we can do right from home. And some not everybody wants to travel. It's not a perk for all of us, right? Some of us have home life duties that are just too hard to get away from, or we just don't like the experience of traveling and having being forced to meet new people like big conferences. So that one doesn't surprise me as much, but it sounds like you do get resistance because the educational factor. Exactly. So most of the conferences that we're traveling to, fortunately, there is a hybrid option for a lot of the learning platforms now where you can learn online or in person. However, that's not for all of the courses. So the online option, a lot of people are still catching up to be allowed to offer that to external candidates. However, traveling and you align that with the educational expenses, I need my providers to know the newest trends, what the regulations are, and they can only do that in that educational setting. So if I cut back on educational, in my educational line item, how do I ensure that they're staying on top of their skill set? How do I ensure that they are actually performing at the top of their license? But that's a huge space that doesn't get the most funding. But it's a space that I continue to push because education just isn't optional for me. Yeah, that's understandable. So, okay, without going into high-level MBA speak, because I'm not sure our listeners will appreciate that, tell me about some of these mid-range and long-term financial goals. So if you have to set reduction targets, what do you look at? We talked about the low-hanging fruit, so more short-term. Then we have sort of the mid-range and then long-term. Like, How do you go about that? What's your mindset or your thinking? So my thinking is always, what's our end goal? I am in a community health setting, and so our goal is to ensure that we are growing our community, making a healthier community so that the community can really sustain itself. And so my goal is, how do we do this long term? How do we continue to impact the community? And that's, of course, my role, healthcare, but it's also financial literacy, food resources. So it may not just be your organization that can benefit that long-term impact. 
it could be the resources and help of the community members around you. So sometimes when we're looking at the bottom line and we're budgeting and we're really specific to our organization, I start to leverage how can another organization support me and how can I support another organization? Now you're looking at referral resources. And with those resources, I now can extend my bottom line or keep a positive bottom line just with the resources of the community in and of itself. So I think when you're in that mid space, it's important to not just focus on your organization, but look at the organizations around you. How can we partner? It's kind of that bartering system. (laughs) How can we get together and make a difference and really kind of help each other reach their specific goals, but just in a different mindset? It's just different than one plus one is two. I love that idea, but I have to explore it more because I'm not sure I've heard other people really talk about this. You said don't just focus on your own organization, but I think we can't help it. That's like a protection and a survival. You're suggesting that we look for community partners for resource referrals, you said. Can you give me a specific example of when that's worked or been fruitful for you? Absolutely. So again, in the community health space, there are My goal is just to build a healthier community. And so before pre-COVID, we didn't have the dollars flowing through our organization that the government provided for us. And so we had to become creative because in the nonprofit space, ultimately, you're either breaking even or you really do experience a loss and you're always juggling, how do I maintain this organization? And so I was actually able to partner with Northwestern Mutual. I don't know if I can say their name or not, but for but fi- you did. It's good. <laughs> Sorry. Shout out to Northwestern <laughs> right. Mutual. We love you. For financial literacy courses. And we aligned that with healthcare services. And so not only are you coming to get a healthy body, but you're also coming to get a healthy mind. And so with that, you can't always really quantify the return on investment in that space. But what we did see is that people kept showing up to their appointments. They wanted more information. They were reaching out. We got other people saying, hey, how do I get this information? I was able to get at least 18 people signed up for 401k accounts that they just didn't know they should have or could have outside of my organization. And so it was really impactful on how a partnership was created, right? So now When I need funding sources or we're having an event or I'm throwing a community picnic, guess who I'm calling? Hey, Northwestern. And that's the partnership. That's the relationship. That's the referrals. And now it's not just you're coming in for a doctor's visit. That's critical. But you can also tap into this resource over here, and that can help you in a different space of your life than we ultimately could. Yeah, that sounds like a really creative kind of resource referral, right? You wouldn't actually put those two together, maybe. And so I love that you made that happen. But it's interesting because they're for profit, right? And they're partnering with a nonprofit. And and I know they have a commitment to that. And so that makes sense. It aligns with their values. But maybe that is the idea. Like we were so stretched then for resources. We have to get creative and maybe not just partner with other nonprofits who might also be struggling, but look at the people in the for-profit space who have the capacity to help as well as the heart for it. Yes. And they have the budgets. (laughs) (laughs) We do love the budgets and nonprofit. As part of a nonprofit myself at my own university, I do understand that. Yeah. Let's talk about the opposite. So we're talking about reductions, but let's talk about the types 
of expenses or the categories of expenses you refuse to cut? Oh, I refuse to cut salaries. That's a space, and I often get kickback. We hear about it all the time. Downsizing, we have to reduce the workforce. We're just not in that space anymore. And so I'm often challenged with, well, how do we keep our doors open? We have to attract, depending on your industry, again, I have to get patients to come through that door so that we can keep our doors open because we're here for them. And when we change, my father has always taught me, change your thoughts, change your life. When we change how we think about our resources, then we can change the impact that's actually happening within our industry. And so salaries is an area I won't cut. And it's because when I look at the different staffing because we're in healthcare, my nurses, my providers, our medical assistants, dental assistants, even to my accountants, my billers, my coders, there is a level of respect, resilience, trust that is built that you can't pay for. Money doesn't buy us love per se. And so I can't put a dollar amount on those resources that they're providing to the organization because it's outside of a skill set. So it's a tricky space, but that's one space that would be the last on my list to really make a reduction. That's an interesting parallel with higher ed. Higher ed gets a lot of flack for sometimes you you hear it called administrative bloat or just the absolute kind of uptick in adding administration, adding faculty, adding support staff. But it sounds like for you, that's at the core of your mission. And so therefore, you must have that. That's not an area you're willing to cut. So in higher ed, of course, it's, well, you can't keep adding administrators and faculties. But probably like healthcare, higher ed has gotten so much more complex, too. There's more regulations. There's more expectations. The level of service goes up. It doesn't go down. And so... It is a, a interesting parallel between higher ed and healthcare to think that both of those spaces might be struggling with the idea of like paying fairly, like and having to maybe fight for that. Oh yeah, <laughs> like I, I have to pay certain types of faculty a whole lot of money, or I won't have those high highly credentialed faculty members to teach, which is our product, right? Mm -hmm. That education, just like for you, it's the service of the providers. Absolutely, and that is a. It was an eye-opening space for me learning the healthcare industry because the focus is the providers. They're your higher paid positions. And I always would rebuttal with, my provider can see a thousand patients a day, but if I can't get them billed out, it doesn't matter. So I need that biller. And trying to justify those administrative positions, it can be complicated. But I think, again, aligning it with your mission aligning it with your vision and staying true to who you are as an organization, a lot of leaders will get those doors open and keep them open so that those support salaries are supported on the bottom line. And I think when we talk about salaries, the other complication to the equation is that it's people, right? And you might know some of them personally, and it is harder to make cuts to people that put their heart and soul into what they do. They go above and beyond every single day. They're dealing with really hard stuff. And then to think about like, well, I'm going to affect their livelihood now. That's a hard decision. And for me, they're my family. They will, I, anyone that works with me would tell you, this is my second family away from my family. I spend more time with them, with most of the people I work with than my own family. And so their real life situations impact me 
because they're my real life situations. And you do keep that at the forefront of your mind because these past two years have been very, very challenging for a lot of people. And it's not that people aren't committed to their work or not dedicated, but they have to figure out how to transition through loss through suffering, through diagnoses that we just didn't think about. And so, yeah, I'm not going to cut their salary knowing that they have families to support and large decisions to make, but also keeping it is a business, right? So that's my MBA brain that's saying, but it's still a business. And so making sure that as you're mitigating through these different line items, which one will have the greatest impact on my bottom line? I need the people to help the people. So people for me is just not optional. Yeah. So we talked about how, what you would cut, what you wouldn't touch. Let's move on to processes and systems. And so I know COVID has kind of accelerated the pace of change in both higher ed and healthcare. Tell me about some of the processes and systems that you work with that you're just trying to get better, whether it's continuous learning improvements or some other ways to make it more efficient to help your ultimate bottom line. I am a technology advocate at heart. (laughs) Work smarter, not harder. COVID did, the good side of it is it did push us into this, we can do this differently mindset. And so even I will focus on my accounting team. You know, we were so used to scanning papers, printing checks, making physical deposits, transitioning that department, utilizing the accounting software differently, thinking outside of the box has allowed us to be 100% remote. Productivity, actually, because we did have to track it when everyone initially went remote, increased by 73%. People were actually engaged. Why? Because they had tools to do the mundane work and they were actually able to be productive, be creative in their thinking because let technology do the things that technology can do. Now it opens up a door for creative thinking and a creative way to really sustain and maintain in those different areas. Also for billing and coding. Wow. We now have systems where I can just that phrase something and it's like here's everything you need to know how awesome is that where it cuts down my billing time I can actually get bills out of the door in less than 72 hours that didn't happen before so leveraging technology in your industry area and not being afraid I think is so so critical for leaders now because we are shifting as a society Want to accept it or not, we're here. And now we don't even want to talk about the whole AI component. (laughs) You were leading me there. I'm glad you brought it up on your own. Tell me about AI in your organization. Sounds like you might be embracing it. I am, but with caution, of course, until all the legalities are kind of gone through. But in the HR space, there's an AI component and I can just type in, what was my last check stub? And it pulls it right up for me. I don't have to call someone and say, hey, can you scan this or can you email? So again, that time freed up in that people space for another position. I think it's just awesome. There's no way around it. I totally support technology. I think we that is a budget area for nonprofits that also didn't really exist historically because it's expensive. But we have to have it. 
That's how we survive medical records. Electronic. You can log in, schedule an appointment, see your medical records, see your lab results. It's amazing. The convenience side of it is really amazing. Of course, we want to do our due diligence to make sure whichever software we're using, it aligns and, you know, in compliance with the things that we have to do. But yes, technology all the way. Excited for what's to come, especially in the AI space. But I think more leaders have to embrace that we're just in that change space. And I hear that debate day in and day out, almost to the point of, okay, I'm kind of over it. Like, let's just embrace it so we can all move on and find our different thing. But yeah, absolutely. I think the leaders, as you mentioned, must be open to it and how to adapt it for their own uses. And then, of course, balancing that with, are there any legal considerations, ethical considerations, student or patient care considerations? Like who's Mm -hmm. actually, like maybe it's easier on the staff side, but maybe the students are finding it or the patients might find it as users not as helpful. Who knows, right? So I think that's one of those things where we're going to see more and more of this and it'll just start to shake out. Okay, so... The world has given us this expectation of maintaining services, right? We talked about that. Quality of services cannot ever revert back. It's always going to have to be up and up. But we have reduced funding in nonprofit spaces, whether it's public funding, whether it's private funding, whatever that looks like. Tell me in a general sense, how do you think nonprofits can walk that line of achieving a high level of service? during a time of diminishing resources without sacrificing the best. So sort of general philosophy there. Yeah, quality isn't optional. And just like one of my sayings is excellence isn't optional. Quality can't be modified so that we can save anywhere because you don't really save. And so in my space, a person's quality of life How do you quantify that? So you can't skim in those spaces. But I think it's the focus of how knowing that quality is a requirement. It's not optional. How do we sustain and continue to do what we do? So I think it just goes back to those resources, making sure that you have the right people in place, making sure that you're doing real time data studies. Data is so critical. And a lot of we hear dashboards and reports and analytics but as leader for leaders we have to pay attention to the data that's presented to us and that continues to sit in front of us cuz that is how we can measure our quality metrics are we doing what we said we would do did we do it within the time frame that we said we would and just making sure our resources your resources 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 partnerships relationships will help you ensure that quality level doesn't diminish but that you're still meeting the needs of the organization tell me how you would handle a conversation in which you are getting pushback or resistance to anything that sounds like you know Candace is making some sort of for profit measure she's going in a different direction than the nonprofit so for example right i work in higher ed of course and so whenever we talk about things it's always mission forward but then somebody will stand up and say yeah well we still need a margin yeah. and you are a financial person but such a nonprofit soul, right? So how do you handle any sort of cultural resistance to doing things that are actually the betterment of all, but at face value, they might sound, hey, I'm getting out my hatchet and being all for profity here. Yeah. And the truth is no margin. 
no mission. It's a business. We do have to keep our doors open. And your margin is what supports the mission. I often hear, we're not here to make money. (laughs) And it's like, no, but we are here to keep our doors open. (laughs) So I want the people to be able to come back tomorrow. And so it's aligning and making sure it's really education, right? Helping others understand your organization, educating them on how you function, and educating the staff so that they're fully aware of when I'm saying, hey, we got to get this out the door, or hey, we got to get this moving. It's not a we're making money or we're shifting to for-profit. It's that we want to continue the mission. We want to continue the community drive. We want to continue to offer services that we wouldn't be able to offer without some type of fiscal support. Sounds like you're hearing a lot of the same things that I hear, right? And there is. I like that idea of just education, advocacy, and transparency in how you go about making those decisions. Because, of course, everyone who's in these spaces, they're there because they also have this, like, serving the world, making the community better hearts. But, yes, that idea of, like, walking that line of still having enough to keep the doors open. So, yeah, it's definitely a tightrope, I can tell. All right. As we're starting to wrap up here, Candace, tell me a little bit about your best advice for nonprofit colleges and their leaders. How can they operate a financially viable organization? What's your best advice or recommendations for them? Ooh, that's loaded, Sarah. I think the best advice is just honesty. I live in a space of integrity and honesty, making sure that we're allowing the data to drive the story and not our personal opinions, looking at that data. And if we are truly nonprofit and our mission really stands at the forefront, we're going to do whatever we can to ensure that our students receive what they need, that our patients receive what they need, and that our communities continue to grow because they're receiving the things that they need from our organizations. So I think it it really stems from that honest-based, who are we? What are we doing? How are we going to get there? And being transparent, as you said earlier, with your staff, with your team, let's have open and honest conversations so that we're all on the same page and there's no different agendas or hidden agendas that they would say, no, I'm here to make sure that my community is a better place because I am a part of my community. And how are we going to do that efficiently? And also just relationships. They're so important right now. And I think that's a space that we're lacking because COVID kind of brought us together, but it also pulled us apart. And so making sure that we are being open to relationships that we probably never would have even explored, it really could positively impact our organization. So I think that's what I would just say, kind of hone in, look at the data, look at your resources, be honest, and just make sure that your mission does stay at the forefront. Candice, this has been amazing. I love it. I found so many parallels between what you're doing in your space and what you know higher ed is kind of also facing. And so I just thank you so much for sharing thank your you, wisdom. Sarah. Yeah. Thank you, Candice. Thank you. To support the cause of the affordable college experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.